Welcome to the Literacy Lunch Break. We are thrilled to have our special guest, Amanda Hager, an Orton Gillingham literacy interventionist, join us today. She is going to share how she's made some shifts and changes in her practice and how she uses decodable text to meet her students' needs. Thank you so much, Amanda, for being our guest today. Well, thank you so much for having me. I'm super, super humbled to be here, actually. So Amanda, can you just tell us a little bit about your personal journey in education and what led you to become a literacy specialist? Maybe share how long have you been teaching? How long have you been a literacy specialist? Yeah, so I have, this is my 17th year. I have taught second and third grade for the bulk of my career. Um, I left the classroom to be a innovative learning coach and then later a literacy learning coach. And then I missed the classroom. So I am now back as a reading interventionist, which I've been doing for about five years, I want to say. So you've had a wide range of classroom experience, coaching experience, yeah. and as you said, you missed the kids, so you went back. What brought you back in the role of an interventionist? What sparked your interest there? So being a, so becoming a literacy coach, um, like I just, you're right, that's literacy is my passion. I can't figure out how many yards of fabric I need at Johan, so I'm not, I'm not a math person. Um, but I, like, I love literacy and it's, I love helping kids learn how to read, especially the ones that struggle, right? Because we talk a lot about literacy being that social justice issue, Right. We don't want any kids not being able to to read, and so reading intervention is a great. It's it's you you right. You get to help the kids overcome that and become readers and see themselves as readers. Um, and they're the kids that need us the most, right? So it was when I when I became an interventionist, we had the very balanced literacy approach. Our district was doing the um, the leveling, right? Are you an A? Are you a B? Are you a C? And then our interventions were geared towards that, right? So if you have a student that's a level C and they really should be a level F, right, we're starting them off in that intervention at the levels C in their blue, you know, system and moving on. But then these kids that were in this program were just not, they're not moving. They, they were in intervention, what seems like for life, because it just, they weren't catching up and they weren't. Um, improving on some of those other assessments, which is what kind of started this journey towards, you know, why are they not, what's, what's wrong with the instruction right. that we're giving them that's not, not yes. working for them. And I think that's really important what you mentioned is this intervention piece, right? We definitely want to provide intervention for students. We know there will be some students that need, you know, more opportunities, more practice, more repetition, maybe more intense instruction. Um, but they shouldn't live in intervention, right? We should, our right. instruction should we be providing them the skills they need so they can be become proficient readers, right? Right. So I would love to hear a little bit more about what what was that first step like as you started to question maybe the instruction that you were providing because that can be pretty hard as an educator, right? You yeah. have your curriculum, you're you're teaching, you're doing what you do think is best, and then maybe you kind of pause and think huh, what's going on here? Why aren't we seeing any yeah. changes? Yeah, well, and so, and that's, I, in preparing for this, I went back into my Amazon cart. So it was David Kilpatrick is what really um, shifted my, you know, kind of my journey in all of this because the things that he was saying just made so much sense and they were things that nobody had ever told me before, right? It's just, 
I mean, I remember going out for drinks with a friend and being like, oh my gosh, in our, you know, sight word lexicon, she's like, what is a lexicon? I'm like, you don't get it. This is amazing, right? Because it's like, there's so many things that we, that we as, as teachers are not taught when in our undergrad that then when you hear it, they make so much sense. So it's like, you know, I even remember in summer school when we would have Haggerty books, right? And it was like, I don't really even understand why I'm doing this. And then when you pick something like that up, you're like, oh my gosh, this is actually really, really important. Mm -hmm. and, and how did I not know this before? Yes, and I think that's what's really important and why we're so excited to talk to you as a classroom teacher or an interventionist is because it's those two pieces, right? It's you can have the resources, like you said, you could pick up a book that you, but if you don't know why that curriculum is important or maybe why it's not the best to use for your, your students, really you need both the knowledge and the resources, right? Yeah. So yeah. I would love to hear just a little bit more about the students that you serve as a reading interventionist. So I see students in K-5 that we use, um, iReady is the benchmark that we, that we use three times a year, and that kind of filters out, right, like who's performing below the 25th percentile. Um, and then we kind of go from there, right, we do a little bit more assessing. Um, and those, that's how we determine the kids that then I see. Um, so, and then in the past, right, we would have done put them into some kind of level of like, well, you're in the blue system starting at lesson 23 because that's what you need. Um, and now when they get to me, I feel like after having been on this journey, they, they get to me and I have a whole host of like other like little mini assessments, right? Like I'm not assessing kids to death, but it's like, here, can you just read this word list for me? Because Clearly phonics is an issue for you. Clearly you can't decode the words, but then where do you go from there, right? So then right. that's how I kind of how I group my students then. So I might have like 10 second graders that come see me, but then I can go back through and I can, you know, use some of those other little tools that I've got to then figure, okay, well, so you guys are all in second grade. But you know what? You're pretty solid with short vowels. We're going to start working on some blends and get into the silent E. And then, you know, you've got other kids that's like, wow, we just really need to solidify, you know, those short vowel sounds. So it's, it sounds like you have done a lot of work to make that shift from kind of using a leveling system to really dig in and know yeah. a little bit more about your students so you can provide the instruction that they need. And that as you said, can kind of be overwhelming. So as you think about this journey that you've been on now, you said you looked back at your, you know, your Amazon cart and saw that it was really Kilpatrick, right? That was like that first book that you read. How long, did you say how long ago that was? It was five years ago. Five years ago. <laughs> so I, I think as a, a teacher that may be listening, that's just starting to learn about structured literacy or thinking about really kind of making a little bit of a shift what were some of those those pieces or you know those first steps that you took because i think that's the hard thing right i i'm yeah. wondering what's going on i'm maybe questioning some things i'm doing i read this book but what's my next step yeah and i think that's hard because a lot of teachers that that I talk to and become friends, you know, because like, I, I like to post things on social media, right? The more you know, right? If I've got, it's not, if I have this information, it doesn't do well if it just stays with me, right? So like, I like to post little things here and there and I have teacher friends that'll reach out and it's like, oh my God, well, what do I do? And it's, it's really hard because it's, I feel like when, to think even back those five years ago, 
I mean, I don't even know all the things I've done in the five years, but I think it's just that continuing to listen to podcasts, right? Like the more you get those little pieces of information, then that will kind of feed into your teaching. So Kilpatrick really opened my eyes to, I need to not skimp on the phonemic awareness. This is really important. And it's really important to know, I I tell, sorry, I'm going off on tangents, but fourth grade teachers that come to me and are like, my kids are struggling. And I say, give a phonemic awareness assessment. They look (laughs) at me like I'm crazy. But I'm like, you will be shocked at what your fourth graders, if they are struggling reading, and you give them a phonemic awareness screener, you will be shocked because even our um, benchmarking tests, it won't test for phonemic awareness after a certain grade. Right. And so, and they are, they're like, oh my gosh, they can't, you know, they struggle. Like a lot of times they can blend, but they can't segment those words. Yes. Mm-hmm. Well, if you can't segment the word, you can't spell the word, right? right. It's, it's, it's just such an important piece. And so mm-hmm. I kind of feel like it's, just listen to the podcasts, you know, just can, you know, every little thing that you pick up feeds into your teaching somehow, even if it's just like in a small, a small way, Yes, if that makes sense. Right. And I, I love that you're sharing just those small steps. And so the last few episodes, we really have been talking about one of those small shifts that you can change is kind of switching from that leveled reader, right? To yes more of a decodable text for students that need this phonics instruction or still need the opportunity to learn how to crack the code, right? Um, Decodable text isn't something students should live in either, right? Right. But those students, like you said, that maybe don't have the phonemic awareness, don't have the phonics knowledge. We do know with older learners, you know, as they get to third, fourth, and fifth grade, if they really haven't been taught these skills explicitly, they do tend to guess and guess and try to remember words as whole visual units. Um, so I would love to hear a little bit more about that part of your instruction of, okay, I used to have my students in level A or D or F and you know just use those leveled books with them to try to teach the phonics piece. Yeah. But what did that small um, shift in your instruction look like? Yeah, well, and it's, you know, there's so many. One of the things, like, um, I know at one point, like, I think you asked for, like, what advice would you give teachers? And I think we got to be careful sometimes on those, like, we join the Facebook sites and things. And there are people on, like, all ends of this continuum of the science of reading. And, you know, some people are very, like, well, it has to be this percentage of words you can't read. And then this per- – and you can get so bogged down and then feeling like, well, I'm doing it wrong because, oh, my gosh, I think this leveled reader, I see a word in there that isn't fair and I should not give this to my my student. And it's so easy to kind of get lost in, like, the rules of decodable, um, decodable texts. So, I mean, that would be a piece of advice is kind of let that – let that go, especially if you're just getting started and just seeing what you can find um, that's out there. And then what I have my kids do too, it's like, I think we need to be honest with kids too and where they're at, right? Like this is a continuum. I I don't like to use the like English is hard, but like Mm -hmm. it's English has a lot of rules, right? And if we learn all the rules, we can read anything that we want to read. 
But there's kind of an order that things build on. So right now we're working on short vowels. And when we get really good at short vowels, then I'm going to show you blends. And then, mm-hmm. you know, from blends, you know, and again, stay away from those sites or the groups where people are like, well, you can't teach this until you've taught right. it. Right. I mean, I a- love, I love that you brought that up because again, that's something we have talked about in a previous episode is there's really no research that says there should be a certain percentage of decodability. There's recommendations or, you know, some states have set standards or curriculum companies have kind of said, we think about this percentage. And so when we try to so tightly control and say, oh, it's, oh it can only be 90% or it can only yeah. be 100%, okay, then we end up like coming up with stories that don't make sense. And we know that, you know, students need yeah. to understand language to be able to read a text as well. So sometimes I love that. Like it doesn't have to be perfect. We just have to make steps to make it better. If I'm teaching a student how to decode words that have short vowels and maybe some digraphs, I want a a lot of those words to be short vowels and digraphs, but I also want to give you the opportunity to use, you know, when we think about Cher's self-teaching hypothesis, right? Use some some knowledge that you have about phonemic awareness and print to try to decode a word that maybe I haven't explicitly taught you that pattern for um, to really get, because we can't stay in decodable text forever. So I, I love that piece of advice of not being too hard on yourself, just, but again, it does have to give them the opportunity to practice the skills we've taught. Absolutely. Um, um, and you just need to, you know, every, anytime you have a decodable, you just need to look at it, right? Like it, sometimes you go to a bookstore and it's like, oh, um, I don't want to call it any companies, but it's like, these, (laughs) this is a decodable book set on sharks. And I'm looking through and it's like, this is supposed to be short A. And I'm like, I only see, it was very decodable, but I'm like, why are there only like five short, I see them in there, they're in there, but it's also sharks, right? Which is our control, but, um. You're right. You know, you just have to like exactly what you said, just you have to look through them and kind of, you know, look for yourself and kind of Mm -hmm. see and then and then go from there. And another thing you mentioned, I think, is that that honesty with students. Right. Um, You know, not kind of, oh, we're we're holding everything back from them, but having that honest conversation. And and I like what you said. It's not that English is crazy because I know I used to do that as a teacher, yeah. right? Because I didn't know the logic behind it. Right. I didn't know why things were the way they were. And I'd be like, oh, that, you know, yes, I taught you that, you know, this is one way to represent the sound, but in this word, that's not happening. So you know what? You just have to know that by heart. That's just crazy. English yeah. is crazy. And what that really does for students is it shuts it down, right? Like, well, forget it. I'm not going to try this because yeah. my teacher's telling me it's crazy versus yeah. there's some things to teach and I haven't taught it all to you yet, but that way if students are encountering a word or words that are harder to decode, rather than thinking, oh my goodness, this doesn't make sense, I just have to remember it as a whole unit, they're starting to wonder, well, I wonder what's happening here, right? I always kind of give that example with the letter E. Like I tell students, you know, oh, it's so E's so overworked. I'd go on strike if I were E. There's so many different things that E does. It's not just making the vowel say its name. So then if they come across a word like have and it's not saying have, instead of being like, this is crazy, they may be wondering, well, I wonder what E's job here, right? What, what, what's the job? So those are, I think, some really great um, pieces. Now, shifting from a more balanced literacy approach to 
a more structured literacy using decodable text, using resources that maybe, you know, haven't been part of a district or your classrooms before. I know there had to be some bumps in the road for that, right? So as we do, okay. because we do really want teachers to be able to hear the, these episodes and walk away with something. I think that would be my next question is, you know, what were some of those bumps in the road and how, and how did you overcome them? Yeah, you know, I think you just have to be okay with that it is going to be a bumpy road and that you might, you know, not everybody, it's a continuum of teachers so where we all are and not yeah. everybody is in the same place. And so it can be uncomfortable and it can, you know, depending on what your district is like, it could be a little bit lonely. You might, you know, if, <laughs> if other people aren't quite ready um, and you have to be okay to kind of break the rules a little yeah. bit. I mean, at the end of the day, these are the kids that are in front of us. And so, you know, I'm going to pull this level lesson and maybe I'm going to do a couple things. I mean, now our district is, I'm good now, but uh, right. you know, in the beginning it was like, well, this is what I'm supposed to do. I'm going to take this. I'm going to, you know, I can use mm -hmm. like a piece of it, but I'm going to do what I know that the kids need in front right. of me. Um, and that can be a little bit hard, but I think in the end, we just have to know that we're doing the best we can for our kids and our kids deserve it. I mean, they, right. you know, they can't get lost in all of this minutia of like what we're supposed to be doing on paper versus what they, they actually, need. they actually need. Yes. Right. And I think that's important for us to remember, right? The kids are, we're here for the kids. That's the number yes. one priority. Um, and I'm sure well, along, and yes. to, to add it, you can you can back up any of your decisions with research too. I think yes. that's the other piece that. where you yes. can feel safe in breaking some rules a little bit because if anybody were to come to me and say like, why are you doing this? There is a plethora of research I can pull from and I've got some, you find those people, right? Cause I've got amazing people that I can send texts off to and be like, oh my gosh, tell me an article where I can you know, find out more about <laughs> yeah. this. And then I always have people that are like, oh, well, don't forget about this, right? So right. anything can be backed up. So you're not just breaking the rules willy nilly, right? You're backing it up with research. I love that. I think my last question for you is when we think about those bumps in the road, one of the, one of the pieces I know with decodable texts, you often hear, oh my goodness, they're so boring. Like why would we use decodable? Oh. Text where, you know, we're giving students text that has no meaning and this is not what reading is about. Um, so that's definitely something I know I've heard yes. plenty. So in your experience, what are some of those misconceptions and what have you recognized as you've been able to work with decodable text? I mean, it, it's true. Again, this is where, like, as a teacher, you just got to read before, read what you're putting in front of them before you put in front of them. I mean, I short I, the word pit, you know, we did a little mini vocabulary lesson on, like, this is what a pit is. Not many kids know what a pit is. And now you're outside at recess. They're like, Mrs. Hager, it's a pit. Great. We just, <laughs> we just built some vocabulary. Right. Um, but, like, right, you can, they don't all have to be super boring. And sometimes I just tell the kids, like, I don't know, it's kind of like a silly nonsense story, but the point of this is not, this is not great literature, right? We're right. practicing, this is the practice piece. And so, you know, some of them are a little bit more lame than the others, especially when you're in like the short vowels, like it's- yes. There's only so many words um, that you can make, There's only right? so many words, right? And so like, yeah. oh God, one of, one of them had like something like a tin can. And I was like, I, I don't even right. know how to explain to you. It's soup, it's a soup can. But I love um, that. I love that you said 
it's the practice, right? This yes. isn't the, the destination, it's the practice that gets our students there. Yes. So and when you tell kids that, like this is this is the book we're gonna use to practice on so that you can read those bigger books later on. This right, it, it's they can still have all of the picture books in their book boxes and they can right. still have all that really good literature. Those are the books that we can read to enjoy the story. These are the books that we're going to read so we can learn those like those sounds. We can learn right. those phonic skills. Yes. It's like not every soccer practice is a soccer game, right? There's right. drills. And our decodables are the drills. The practice, yeah. So that we can play in the big game. I love that. So yeah. I think if you were to, I mean, we kind of talked about a few takeaways, but if you were yeah. to, as we wrap up, say this is the one takeaway that I would love teachers to just kind of think about as they listen to this episode. Oh, are you like too hard for one? That, well, it, just, just keep learning and don't give up. I mean, I tell the kids all the time, I'm like, oh my God, I was 41 when I learned that there was a rule for the different spellings of C and K, right? right. I mean, I was a grown woman. I'm teaching you this now and your kids. So think about how much smarter than you. Oh, I love that. <laughs> someday. But I think it's just, we have to be, just embrace it and don't feel like you need to be perfect and just keep learning and don't give up. I mean, that sounds like such cheesy advice, like you can do it, but... You know, every little podcast you listen to, every little book that you read will give you some kind of takeaway that can affect your teaching in some way for the better. I so. absolutely love that. That is great advice. Amanda, thank you so much for oh, being our you. guest today. Um, we are going to continue speaking to you in another episode, really talking more about those shifts and changes that you made. But thank you so much for joining us today. Oh, thank you. This was great. Thank you. Be sure to subscribe and stay tuned for our upcoming episodes where we explore literacy topics in a snack-sized, easily digestible format.